Colossians 1, 9 through 18. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in this inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Tori. Thank you all for joining us today online from your homes and here in person in our sanctuary. It is so great to have you with us. Really appreciate your joining us today. 2020 has been quite a year, hasn't it? Three quarters over, we're in the last quarter of the year, but we still have a presidential election to come. What a year. I was talking this week with a good pastor friend named David Dwight, who uh, lives in Virginia, and David shared that he was driving in the mountains of Virginia, and he went down a particular state road, and there was a long line of political science. You've seen roads like this. It was one after another, John Brown for State House, Jane Doe for Senate, and some of them repeated over and over and over and over, one sign after another. And then he got to the end of the signs and set apart from the others was a, a nice handmade sign that simply said, Jesus for Lord. Jesus for Lord. Yes, I, I think it's fine to... Give the Lord thanks and praise for that. Now, the fact is, there's no voting on that. God the Father has already elected Jesus as Lord. In fact, Scripture says God has exalted him over all things and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Political leaders will come and go. They will disappoint but Jesus will never disappoint. The book of Colossians in the passage Tori just read says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And in chapter 2, the apostle Paul writes, He is the head of all rule and authority. In this beautiful letter to the Colossians, and it was written as a letter originally from a Roman prison. Imagine that. Paul's writing this letter and he's imprisoned. And yet in the midst of his imprisonment, in a terribly unfavorable political environment, especially for Paul and for believers at that time, what's he focused on? He's focused on the supremacy of Jesus Christ, the preeminence of Jesus, the fact that Jesus is the head of all rule and all authority, and that's the beautiful emphasis in this little short letter that we call the book of Colossians. 
The Apostle Paul goes on from focusing on the supremacy of Jesus to talking about how his followers should live. And in so doing, he also corrects a problem. Apparently, people had come into the church at Colossae and been teaching that there were additional things that needed to be done to be in a right relationship with God. Things other than what Jesus had done. For example, in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, he writes to the Colossians, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Some of you who've joined us over the last year or so remember our emphasis on shadows. Shadows in the Old Testament. Things that point to and are fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. And the Apostle Paul is saying, look, you have the substance. Why are you now going back under the shadows? He's correcting that false teaching. And he's teaching us that those who have received Jesus are new beings. He refers to the new life in Christ as the new self. And one of the first things we'll see as we go into chapter 3, where our focus will be today, is that the new self is identified with Jesus Christ. The new self is identified with Jesus, if you're following along on your bulletin. And we read this in Colossians 3, 1 to 4. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now look at those verses just for a moment. Notice this. Because of who Jesus is and what he has done, believers, those who've accepted Jesus, embraced his salvation, have a new identity. And notice the things that are past tense. You have died. You have been raised. And we're thinking, but I'm sitting here in my living room or I'm sitting here in the sanctuary, River Oaks. I'm not in heaven yet. That's true. But Jesus' work is so complete for us that the Apostle Paul is writing of it as an accomplished, finished fact. You have died with Christ. You have been raised with Christ. You have a new self. You have a new identity. Now, he also speaks in the present tense. If we look at, at back at those verses 1 through 4, he says, Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. What's he telling us to do here? When I first read these verses, it, it, it seems to me he's saying, Well, think about heaven a whole lot more. Live your life with a more eternal perspective, set your mind on things above, seek the things above, and that's good to do. We need to live, I think, with more of an eternal perspective than we do. But in the immediate context of these verses, I don't think the Apostle Paul is intending to say, only think about heaven all the time. Because before this chapter is over, he's going to talk about our work. And he's going to say, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord. Let me read again the very end of chapter 2. 
just preceding the verses that you see on the screen before you. He's talking about these legalistic practices that some say are necessary, and he says concerning these things, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the flesh. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. So you see what his point is? In its context, he's saying, as the basis for your salvation, don't seek these legalistic practices that people are teaching are necessary, but set your minds on things above. Recognize what Jesus has done. He's seated in heaven. You are now identified with him in the new self. Set your mind on Christ and his completed work, not the legalistic practices of this earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's not what I do, it's what he's done. Not what I need to do, should do, can do, it's what Jesus has done. It's completed. And he is the head over all things, he is the head over all rule and authority, Paul writes. But Paul goes on to speak about the new self. And he writes that the new self, who's identified with Christ, now lives a new life. And the new self puts off the ways of the old self. And so we read this in verse 5. Paul writes, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Because you're a new self, put to death the earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now look at those words just for a moment. The word sexual immorality is the translation of a Greek word, porneia, which is used very often in Scripture to refer to a broad category of sexual sin. The following words, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, seem to be related to this. And then there's the sin of covetousness, which Paul defines as idolatry. Now, the reason I stress this is, this is not new in Colossians chapter 3. In Old and New Testaments, there seem to be two categories of sins that God points out often as particularly evil. Sexual sin and idolatry. And the Apostle Paul here is telling us that greed, covetousness, is a form of this idolatry. We go on to verses 7 and 8, and we read, he writes, In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Now look at those words for a moment. Anger, wrath, malice, slander. Doesn't it seem somewhat difficult to live apart from these things, and are particularly angry, politically polarized, divided country. Yet, as followers of Jesus, Paul is saying you're supposed to be different. You're supposed to be different. You're identified with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. And now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you are empowered to put away these things. And Paul began speaking of the old and new self as if he's talking about putting on clothing. Put off the old, put on the new. And so, he then tells us that the new self, the self we're to put on, the new self reflects 
God's character. And notice what he writes, beginning in verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And by the way, I'm so glad he said it's being renewed in knowledge because it is a process. It's a lifelong process for a believer of having our minds renewed so that our uh, lives progressively, continually, increasingly reflect the character, the image, the likeness of our creator. He goes on to say, here there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Now this is a remarkable thing. He's saying that your new identity in Christ supersedes all other forms of identity. Ethnic identity, certainly it's important. We have a social and even a religious identity, but our identity in Christ is our primary, predominant, first and foremost identity. And then he begins telling us what to put on. He tells us to put on these things. Compassion, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Consider those words for a moment. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. I know we don't see a lot of it in our world, particularly right now. But you, <coughs> you and I who are believers in Jesus, we are the ones who are called to live these things out and to be like lights shining in a dark place. We're the ones who are to be different. And so the Apostle Paul says, put these things on. Furthermore, in verse 13, he says, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Forgiveness for the Christian is not an option. Forbearance and forgiveness. And then in verse 14, critically important verse, and above all these, above compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, above all these, put on love. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The Apostle Paul uses a word in the Greek language here, which means completeness or maturity. When he talks about perfect harmony, what he's saying essentially is that love is the glue that holds these qualities together, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. It is the glue that holds these things together, and it is, I believe, the highest mark of Christian maturity. It's the quality that Jesus emphasized with his followers repeatedly. It's a quality we find in the writings of the Apostle Paul. He says, you fulfill all the law when you fulfill the command to love one another. It's a quality the Apostle James in the book of James called the royal law, to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's a key theme that the Apostle John writes in 1 John. Now, as we think about these things, the new identity, what we're to put off, the anger, malice, slander, 
what we're to put on, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and above all these things, love. As we seek to live as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, as this passage says, during this election season, I want to note three sins to be particularly aware of as believers in Jesus. The first sin to be aware of in this election season, I would suggest, is idolatry. That is misplaced trust. Putting all of your hopes for a good and righteous life, a good and righteous nation in a political candidate. But isn't it important to vote? Absolutely. I've already voted. I believe every Christian should vote. I believe you should pray and seek God's will and vote. It's not only a right and a privilege. I think it's a stewardship. But political leaders will come and go. Jesus is the head of all rule and authority, and our trust must be placed in him. He will be Lord forever. Secondly, a sin to avoid the one that Paul's pointed out, anger, wrath, malice, slander. I'm so tired of political ads already because there's so much of that. And you know what? I particularly feel right now for those of you who have uh, young children, and they're, they're just seeing the world filled with this, that it's normal. The, uh, the dishonesty, the, the anger, the wrath, the slander, the malice, it's modeled for them everywhere. And I hope you parents, and I know that many of you do, I hope you parents are modeling for them what it's like to be different, to put off those things, to put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, and above all these love, which is the mark of maturity and completeness for a believer. I hope your your home will be like a little heaven, a little part of the kingdom of God on earth where the likeness of God is seen by the compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, by the, the way you're putting on the character of God and you're putting off the practices of this world that you'll be different. Another sin to avoid And it's one, unfortunately, I've seen some over the years, is a lack of love toward those on the other side. I think one of the worst things I've heard, I've observed in an election year is the way some people on one side despise people on the other side. And I mean really, really despise them. I once heard someone say... uh, someone I thought was a pretty mature Christian leader, I don't see how anyone can be a Christian and be part of that party. Now, I just want to say, first of all, I'm really grateful for the graciousness of people in our church. I haven't heard people saying that at all in our church. And I think people in our church have a right to share their opinions, and I'm just really grateful that at least in recent years, I I find people doing that in a very gracious and loving way. I will tell you, I do tend to dread election years like this, particularly presidential election years, because I tend to get 
uh, input from outside of our church that sometimes can come on a bit strongly. And um, in fact, I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, recently, I was part of two different uh, calls, um, not in-person meetings. In the first, there was a, a, a Christian leader who I'm sure is a Christian and in leadership who felt very, very strongly that a pastor not only should, but must urge a church to vote and to vote in one particular way and that this presidential election, there is only one way that a believer should vote and that a pastor should be very clear about that, proclaiming that openly in the church. There was no other option but one. The very next day, I was on a call with another person that I would consider a Christian in leadership who also felt very strongly that a pastor had an obligation to urge members not only to vote, but to really steer them very clearly in one particular way because there is only one option, this person would say, for a Christian in this year. Two Christian leaders, two consecutive days, both extremely strong views, both felt strongly there's only one ob uh, option for the biblical Christian this year in the presidential choices. And here's the thing. They were on opposite ends of the aisle. That's right. They were favoring two different candidates. Wow. Here's what I would say to you. Here's a question to ask ourselves. Am I putting my political identity above my identity in Christ? As a believer in Jesus Christ, you share an identity and a union, literally a union with every other believer in Jesus in this country and around the world, and yes, in different political parties, people with different opinions. And that identity in Christ supersedes a political identity. So that a Christian on the other side of the political aisle is your brother or your sister, and you are commanded by Jesus to love them. In fact, here's what the Apostle John would write about that in the book of 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19. And this is true regarding any other believer in Christ. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And it leads me to uh, a second question. Can it be a genuine friend to someone of a different political party? It's always refreshing to me when I see political leaders model this, that they can have a genuine relationship that's cordial and, and even genuinely friendly with someone on the other side of the, the aisle. So friends, it's an election year. 
Let's pray. Let's seek God's will. Let's vote responsibly. Yes. But let's set our mind on things above, on the one who is the head of all rule and authority. Presidents and vice presidents and senators and representatives will come and go. They will probably often disappoint us in life, but Jesus will not. He is Lord forever. He is in all things preeminent, and he holds everything together. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now, I would say this to you. If you have never embraced the salvation Jesus provided in his death on the cross and in his resurrection from the grave, I want to urge you above everything else to acknowledge your sin, to repent, to turn to him and embrace what he's done for you. When you do that, you gain a new identity. You are literally, in the words of Scripture, in Christ, seated with him in heavenly places, even while still on this earth. Now, I'd like to close this part of our service a little bit differently today. I'd like to ask you to join me right now in spending just a few minutes, maybe five minutes, praying. Praying for our nation, praying for ourselves. I'll, I'll read a verse or two of scripture, begin a, pray, uh, a prayer, and leave you uh, a little time of silence to join me in praying. And um, then our, our worship band is coming to lead us after that. So would you join me as we pray? He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he, is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And now, Father, we pray for the preeminence of Jesus Christ in all things, beginning with our lives. I pray for any listening who need to really bow the knee to Jesus Christ as Lord, that they would do that today. We pray for our friends, our neighbors, our family members who don't know you yet to come to know you, and we pray for a beautiful work of your Spirit in our nation. Lord, your word also says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin 
and will heal their land. Father, we are your people. We humble ourselves before you today. Lord, we need your forgiveness. We need your healing. Would you please forgive us? Would you cleanse us? Lord, we acknowledge our sins as a nation are many. We ask for your forgiveness, your cleansing, your healing from racial injustice, from the injustice of abortion, for the sins of the abuse of children and sex trafficking and the proliferation of pornography and entertainment that glorifies evil and blasphemes your holy name. God, forgive this nation. Have mercy. Bring repentance. Bring healing. Forgive us for the greed, Lord, that has dishonored you. Have mercy upon this nation and heal our land. Turn the hearts of your people to repentance and to genuine humility in the name of Jesus. We also pray for healing, Lord. You said confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Lord, we pray for healing for all affected by the virus, from our president, to Senator Tillis, to the political leaders who are suffering. Father, would you be a shield of protection around those in health care? first responders, Lord, law enforcement, be a shield of protection around them. Keep them in your care. Protect the vulnerable in our own church, Lord. Lord, guide those researchers working on a vaccine. And would you bring a solution, Lord, in such a way that your name would be magnified. And now, Father, you said, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all generously without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Let him ask in faith. Give us wisdom as we vote. Give us wisdom as we live as lights in a dark world to glorify your name. And now, Lord, as we worship you, as we renew our surrender to the King of Kings, we acknowledge there is only one King and He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the head of all rule and authority. In all things, He has and shall ever be supreme and preeminent. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His, of his nature and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. May we glorify you and surrender to you.